married, right? Uh, young people, if your mom or dad were a millionaire. And, and what if they said to you, your spouse, good relationship, your parent, good relationship, so we're not thinking bad relationship. They say to you, um, if you ever need anything, please just come and ask, and, uh, and I'll give it to you. How many of you are thinking now of some things that you might buy from this wealthy individual? <laughs> I use that illustration to get us thinking about what the Bible says when it comes to this matter of prayer. Matthew chapter number 7, the Bible says, Ask, and it shall be given you. In Luke chapter 18, in verse number 1, the Bible says, Men ought always to pray and not to faint. How much fainting do we do? How much do we find ourselves under it or feeling under it when we really, if we spend time in prayer, you know, if we're praying, we're not fainting, right? If we're fainting, we're not praying. Um, this Christmas, my dad got me this book, and I'm going to have to borrow my wife's glasses because I can't find mine up here anywhere. She knew this, she knew this was coming. She could tell. Um, he bought me this book called The Kneeling Christian. Have anybody read this book? Anybody familiar with this book? The interesting thing about this book is this book, the author is an unknown Christian. So the author doesn't even want you to know who he or she is. Friends of the author asked the author to write this book. I think it was in the 1930s or so. Sorry, I'm going to look a little bit feminine up here with these here purple glasses. <laughs> I want to read you something from this book by way of introduction. My intent is really to go shorter. Uh, that's my intent. And to spend a few minutes in prayer. Some years ago, the writer of this book faced this prayer question. Really, how much time he spends in prayer. He felt that for himself, he should set a goal of one hour a day. was the minimum time that he should spend in prayer. He carefully noted down every day record of his prayer life. As time went on, he met a working man who was being used of God in a great way. And he asked him, he said, what do you attribute your success? The man quietly replied, well, I could not get on without two hours a day of private prayer. He talks about how he met someone else, a missionary, a spirit-filled missionary, who told of the wonderful things that God was doing, and obviously he was giving God the glory. And he said, I asked him his secret, and the missionary said, I find it necessary oftentimes to spend four hours a day in prayer. Four hours a day in prayer, exclamation mark, exclaimed a man who was giving his whole life to Christian work. He said, give me 10 minutes and I'm done. This was an honest and brave confession, even if a sad one. And he said this, it was not by accident that these men crossed my path. God was speaking through them. Now, I'm not saying tonight that you're a heathen 
if you don't spend four hours in prayer. Nor am I saying you're a heathen if you don't spend one hour in prayer. But let me ask you this. How much time do you spend in prayer? When we think concerning a family member or somebody close to us that would honestly, from a genuine heart, have millions and say to you, whatever you need, you need a card, no problem. This is, I got millions, or let's say billions. We think about that, and yet we have a God in heaven that has said, ask and you shall receive. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened unto you. The book of James says this, you have not. Why? Because ye ask not. We think about what we have at our disposal. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, right? I think it's plural, heavens and the earth. And that same God that spoke this world into existence says to you and me, ask and you shall receive. I want to give you tonight four challenges that we have when it comes to this matter of spending time in prayer. I think all of us know that we ought to spend more time in prayer. Sometimes, sadly, what brings us to our knees is a trial, a problem that we can't solve where life just kind of kicks us in the gut and we say, well, I guess I better go talk to the Lord about it. But the reality is there are at least four areas that I think create challenges when it comes to spending time in prayer or spending more time in prayer. And I want to give them to you from four different passages of Scripture and uh, maybe ask the Lord as we go through this quickly. I, I do intend to try to end our time with a little bit of prayer if we can. Um, but ask the Lord which area, I already know the areas that, that I find create a challenge for me when it comes to spending more time in prayer. Re the reality is if we really knew how much God wants to talk to us and wants us to talk to him, we probably say, you know what, I, I better make this more a priority in my life, which is really our, our first. Let me, let me give you number one. Actually, let's have prayer, and let's ask the Lord to work here. Lord, we love you tonight. Lord, it's a privilege to come into your throne room. And your word tells us many times over that you hear and answer our prayer. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts tonight. And I pray, Lord, that you would make us men and women of prayer. Lord, would we be the kneeling Christian of Victory Baptist Church in 2024? Lord, we'll thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. Familiar passage, Luke chapter number 10. You read the story of Martha and Mary. came to pass in verse 38. They entered into a certain village. A certain woman named Martha received him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her, therefore, that she help me. Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. Number one, we are distracted. Honey, I must be getting old. My glasses were right here, so I'm going to give you your purple ones back. 
Whoa, I thought you were going to look at me. There you go. She looked down for just a minute. Here we are. Voila. All right. We are very busy. We live in a very busy society. We live in a very distracted society. And our, our, our word is distracted. We're distracted. Uh, Mary and Martha are in the house. Jesus is there. Mary recognizes this is Jesus. And Mary says, I'm going to spend time with Jesus. Martha is about serving. And there's nothing wrong with serving. But Jesus says to Martha, Martha, you're cumbered about. You're, care, you're, you're caring about. Hey, there's one thing that is needful. And that is spending time with Jesus. The devil will do everything he can to keep us as busy as we possibly can be. And why is it sometimes that we find ourselves just praying for a few minutes? Or we find ourselves reading the Bible and we'll get in the car and say, I'll pray on the way to. Or I'll pray on the way home from. You know, the reality is we, we need to make prayer a priority. We need to be intentional about prayer. Years ago in Winona Lake, Indiana, Dr. John R. Rice had a conference, and he was there preaching on prayer. And Dr. Oswell Smith was there, and one of the men asked Dr. Smith, tell us something of the secret of your power and your blessing. I'll never forget how he answered this author said, gentlemen, I didn't get it all when I went to the altar for the first time. I didn't get it all by continually coming to the altar and making rededication. I found that I had to daily spend time alone with God. Every day, he said, except one time in 40 years, right after breakfast, I have gone alone and spent at least one hour on my knees before my God in prayer. He said, if there's any secret of power in my life, it is that I have not, it is that I have taken time with God in prayer. You see, we're too distracted with other things, and sometimes those other things are good things. Martha was trying to serve the Lord Jesus. But there was something that was more important. Can I say this? There's nothing more important in our lives than spending time with Jesus. Nothing. And there really is no excuse. Maybe if we're sick, you're in the hospital. There's really no excuse for Christians to miss a couple days. Well, I... We need him. I need thee every hour, the songwriter said. And some of the reason we don't spend more time in prayer is because it's not a priority. We're not intentional. Hey, you know the things that are important to us, we make time for. Somebody says, hey, we're going to go to a ball game or we're going to do whatever. Oh, I'm in. And I'm going to pay for it. Yeah, I mean, we make time for the things that are important to us. Jesus, the scripture says this of Jesus in Mark, 11, Mark 1 and verse 35. And in the morning, rising a great while before day, he, the Lord Jesus, departed into a solitary place and there prayed. The scriptures are full of references to the Lord Jesus, the God-man that left heaven, that came here on earth, that is our example and he stayed connected. He lived in dependence upon God the Father. What an example. We're distracted. Oh, we know prayer is important. We know, yeah, we need to pray more. 
And yet sometimes the days and the years click on by and we still find ourselves grabbing a minute here and a minute there and a minute here and a minute there. The psalmist said morning and noon and night, but I spend time. By the way, if you seek me, you'll find me. Jesus said, if you search me with all your heart. O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul, the psalmist said, thirsteth for thee. What do we find ourselves hungry and thirsty for? It ought to be an intimate, close, and he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own relationship with the God of heaven. But we're too distracted. Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek him first. Number two, I want you to take your Bibles and turn to the gospel of Mark. In chapter number 6. Gospel of Mark in chapter number 6. We'll begin looking at verse number 1. Mark 6 and verse 1. The Bible says, And he went out from thence and came into his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph, of Judah and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country, and among his own kin, and in his own house. And look at verse number 5. And he, could do th- and he could there do no mighty work, save he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled. You know what made him marvel? Because of their unbelief. Number two, not only are we distracted, we're doubtful. Can God really send revival? Can God really change somebody that's steeped in sin? You know, I think it takes more faith to believe that God can change a life than it does God can save a life. I mean, both take faith. You go out and you witness, and, and you, you witness to this individual, and they're hooked on drugs, or they're, they're an alcoholic, and you witness to them, and they see their need, and they trust God as Savior. And you know what? God is able to take them from drugs and alcohol and immorality and make them a, a, a soul winner and make them faithful in the local church. But sometimes we don't believe that. Sometimes we don't believe that God can use us to see people saved. Why do we say that? Because if we really are convinced that God can use us to see people saved, then guess what? We'll be about telling people about Jesus. You'll never see anybody saved until you get up off the couch and grab some tracks and get in a car and drive to where sinners are and talk to them about Jesus. God has to do the saving, not us. And yet we find ourselves in unbelief sometimes in so many areas in our life. Do we believe that God can give us victory over the sins which just so easily beset us? You see, if I believe that God can do anything, the psalmist said, God can do anything, anything, anything. God can do anything but fail. If I really believe that, 
I'll get on my knees and I'll pray for that individual that is far from God. I'll get on my knees and I'll pray for that situation that needs a miracle. You know, you think concerning, uh, Tyler's not here today. I don't know where he is. Everyone should text him. Where are you? But Tyler will sit here and he'll pray for our president to be saved. You look at some people, some people are really, really far from God. And you say, well, well, maybe they had their last chance. That's God's category, not ours. We need to believe God can save. Saul was a murderer of preachers, persecuted the church of God, and God saved him. And much of what we read in the word of God, he penned in the New Testament. God's able to do it. Do we believe that? Do we believe that whatsoever we ask in his name, he's able to do? Matthew chapter number 21 and verse number 18. The scripture says this, Matthew 21 and verse number 18. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say unto you, if two of you agree on earth as touching anything they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. Do you think concerning uh, the power of corporate prayer? Why do we pray together as a church? Uh, well, because we, we believe that God hears and answers the prayer of his church. This is his church, and he's the head. Why do we have prayer meetings the way we do, where we allow the burden to just kind of lead us? We don't say, here, you pray for these 25 things. We, we allow the Spirit of God to burden us as individuals. And, and, and Brother Talbot will pray for uh, someone to be uh, saved that isn't. And, and, and wouldn't you know that uh, Brother Brown's over here burdened about the same person. And he'll jump in and he'll, you see, that's two or three agree is touching one thing and seeing God Work, do we believe, do we doubt, or do we believe what God can do? Sir Isaac Newton said this, I can take my telescope and look millions and millions of miles into space, but I can lay it aside and I can go into my room, shut the door, get down on my knees in earnest prayer and see more of heaven and get closer to God than I can, assisted by all the telescopes and all the material agencies on earth. Unbelief is that which limits God. Number three, I want you to go to Genesis chapter number three. Genesis chapter number three. And we'll look at the story of Adam and Eve. I want you to see something here. Beginning of verse number seven. The Bible says, you're familiar with the story, and the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees of the garden. Why did they hide themselves? They had fellowship with God. And God shows up again, and they hid themselves. They hid themselves because they did wrong. And number three is we think concerning that which hinders us from spending time with God. We are defeated in our lives. The Bible says in Psalm 16, 
6 and verse 18, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And you don't find amongst God's people that are uh, uh, rebelling or not right with God, you don't see a real vibrant prayer life. You say, why? Remember when you were younger and you did something wrong? Maybe you broke something, you broke a window, and mom and dad weren't home. When mom and dad came home, you didn't go running to them. Hey, mom and dad, so glad to see you. You were hoping they didn't see the thing that was broken, the glass that was missing that you cleaned up or whatever it was. You recognize, hey, there's an issue here. I've done wrong, and, and I'm, not, I, I, I'm not, you know, feeling it. The same is true in our relationship with God. We know what's right and wrong. The Spirit of God lives in us. He brings conviction in our lives. And sometimes, though, we'll hold on to what we want or what we have, and we'll say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do this. I'm not going to. I'm going to do what I want to do. And our prayer life goes out the window. You can't have a vibrant prayer life and talk to the Lord when you're not right with the Lord. And that's the issue we find here in Genesis. We find an Adam and Eve that sinned against God, and they're hiding themselves from the Lord. They didn't run to him. By the way, I'm so thankful if we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive. He remembers our frame. He knoweth that we're but dust. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. He's a loving, gracious, merciful father that wants to forgive, that wants us to be right with him. And yet sometimes we'll live days and weeks and sometimes months away from the God of heaven that wants to show himself strong on our behalf. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of them whose heart is what? His perfect, his right toward him. God wants to bless us. But just like his people, we, we looked at this morning, when we get away from God, God has to chasten us because he loves us to get us back to where we need to be. Defeat in our life will hinder our time with the Lord. And then number four, I couldn't think of a D word, but I got one. It does fit, but you can't take this personal. Because, you know, I see this term <laughs> as a derogatory term, right? <laughs> We're dense. You say, what do you mean? We're ignorant. We're often forgetful of the effectiveness of prayer and how it can change our lives and circumstances. I want you to go to Daniel chapter number 6, another familiar story, Daniel chapter number 6, and I want you to plug into this story here. Daniel prayed, they told him not to pray, and he prayed anyway, and so they you got to throw him into the den of lions. And uh, I want you to look at one verse here in this story. We know that Daniel was a man of prayer. 
we know he kneeled on his knees, verse 10, three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. That was a pattern. It was a way of life for him, and he wasn't going to stop. And so the king, uh, he was kind of uh, deceived into signing this law, and he's now got to throw Daniel into the lion's den. Look at verse number, uh, verse number 16. Is that my verse? I think that's my verse. Actually, verse 18 is, but we'll get there. Then the king commanded, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God, whom thou serve, whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. I think when you look at the construction here, I think he's hopeful. And I'll tell you why he's hopeful. He's not saying, I'm confident that he's going to deliver you. And I'll show you why in a minute. And a stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet, with the signet of his lords, that the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel. Verse 18 is the verse we'll call your attention to. Then the king went to his palace and passed the night fasting. Neither were instruments of music brought before him, and his sleep went from him. The king has a different relationship with God than Daniel does. Daniel was a man of prayer. Daniel was a man, we don't see where the word of God says he was fretful or fearful. They put him in the lion's den, and he prayed, and God shut the lion's mouths. The king, on the other hand, can't sleep. He doesn't want any music. He can't eat. You know, a guy is, is, is disturbed if he can't eat or sleep, all right? There you go. He doesn't want to eat, doesn't want to sleep, doesn't want any comfort. Because the king didn't recognize the power of Almighty God. One commentator said this concerning this, what a contrast between the night passed in the lion's den and the night passed in the palace. Stone walls do not a prison make, nor iron bars a cage, and soft beds and luxurious delights of sense bring no ease to troubled consciences. Daniel is more at rest, though his soul is among lions, and Darius in his palace. Peter sleeps soundly through the coming morning is to be, though the coming morning is to be his last. Referenced there in Acts 12 to Peter, who's sleeping the night before he's to be beheaded. You see, Daniel had a walk with the Lord. Daniel was not ignorant. Daniel was not forgetful of the effectiveness of prayer. Darius, he didn't have the same understanding of prayer and the power of prayer. You know, the reality is sometimes we, I think, are probably a little more forgetful than maybe a little more ignorant. When it comes to this matter of prayer, how often do we have a problem, we pick up the phone and we call person A and B and C, and then maybe sometime later the day or the evening or the next day, we recognize, you know, I need to talk to the Lord about this. How often do we go to other people for advice and don't go to God for advice at all? We're ignorant. We're forgetful. I have a plaque uh, here. It was, it was nice to have Brother Odom here, but one of the things that stirred me was to take him through our building. He hadn't been here before. Wow, this is an amazing building. Wow, what happened? And I was able to talk him through some of the miracles that God did, and it stirred me as I shared with him what God did in answer to our prayer as a church. 
I tell you that, it encouraged me to say, you know what, God, we need to seek you for more. We need to believe you for more. Sometimes we're forgetful. Ask and it shall be given. I love these verses in John, and then I'm going to stop. John chapter 14. I love the ones in 16. Maybe we'll read them both real quick. John 14, verse 12. The Bible says this. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. Now look at this, look at this. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go to the Father. Which of you shall ask in my name that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son? If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. In John 16, Verse 23 and 24. And in that day ye shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, what ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. A preacher of old wrote this, and I'll conclude with this. God's ability is beyond our largest prayers. The author said, I've been thinking of some of the petitions that have entered into my supplications innumerable times. What have I asked for? A cupful, and the ocean remains. For a sunbeam, and the sun abides. My best asking falls immeasurably short of my Father's giving. It is beyond that we can ask or think. God wants to do more for every one of us individually if we'll ask. God wants to do more for us as a church. We've seen God do great things and I'm encouraged with what God did. God delivered us miraculously. I don't know if you remember this. Our sacrifice offering in the spring was taken to help our general fund. We're going to come back around and have a meeting here in a few weeks maybe and spend that sacrifice offering that's usually allocated for a project. God did a miraculous thing. And yet that's just a cupful of what God wants to do. The ocean remains. But our asking is so key. Let's bow for prayer. Lord, we love you today.